1: It's Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gestand. Well, I want to welcome you to another Monday edition of Lifeline. Um, I'd like to say I'm glad to be with you. I hope you're glad to be with me, and I'm looking forward to the next two hours of our um contemplation of what's going on in our world and how we might view it and assess it and uh, and, and address it as well the number to reach me is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine five oh five 505 on the 23rd day of July 2018 lots going on in our world lots going on I'm sure in your life, it certainly is in mine. Um, coming off of a wonderful Sunday, no doubt about it. I'm thankful for uh, where we are at Grace and Hayward. Um, and I, I trust, I really do. I trust that you guys know the cycle of life and the patterns that lead to blessing and uh, help and uh, a clarity of, of mind and focus. Um, the cycle is clear for those who are shepherded by um, Yahweh through his son, Jesus, um, and by the power of his spirit. All three persons working in the lives of all who are bequested of him in the uh, salvation and grace that comes to us through Christ our Lord. We've been meditating on, I think we're on our third sermon, maybe fourth by now of of Psalm 23. Um, The Lord is the one who shepherds me, literally, is the grammar there. Um, And therefore, I shall not lack anything. I shall not decrease. I shall not diminish. I shall not be in want. I shall not fail, not because of me, but because of my shepherd, the one who shepherds me. And we've been working through the Lord's will to guide his people in a pattern of life called the path of righteousness. Verse four. That, um, that can be, um, while the eloquence of Psalm 23 is, is much lauded by almost everyone in the world owning it uh, for comfort at funerals and comfort in difficult times and comfort almost in every situation, yet in reality, Psalm 23 is an exclusive psalm to true believers. It is not a psalm for everyone. It is not a psalm for all religions. It's not a psalm for every person in a woe for bereavement state. It is only a psalm for christ's sheep and uh and and if you're one of his sheep then uh then psalm twenty three um, is a real advice. it's a real insightful uh set of verses that david himself um wrote under inspiration of the spirit of God to actually speak to how we are to navigate our life in this world. And that ultimately is by yielding to the shepherding call, example, model and leading of our great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. By the way, in order to bring us into the presence of god almighty you 'll hear that series maybe in about a month or so a five part series on psalm twenty three rich deep, um, radically exegetical as well as um, comprehensively expository, in helping us understand really what that psalm is about, snatching it out of the hands of emotionalists and people who basically want to do it use it as a kind of a superficial salve. Let me ask you the question. As we get ready to kind of uh, take on some thoughts today, is the Lord the one who actually shepherds you? Do you know him in the pardon of your sin? And do you know him in the power of his grace? And do you know him in the paradigm of leadership? Does he lead you? Do you follow him? Um, Very germane question, given the world you and I live in, the world for the people of God who are like sheep, um, is a really jacked-up place, if I can use the term uh, in a loose fashion. Um, I'm just sitting here thinking about the young lady, Mia Wilson. Uh, My son and I, Nathaniel, were talking about her because he knew her sister um, and uh, knew her in terms of uh, their characteristics and what kind of young, uh, happy, jubilant people they were, particularly Mia, her sister, did survive this Phenomenal, horrific, um, almost irrational attack on the BART here um, yesterday on Monday, um, or yesterday rather, as they are laying out the information. Um, just is, everybody's in an uproar right now as to what really has occurred. A manhunt, a manhunt is underway. CBS News puts it for a suspect accused of fatally stabbing an 18-year-old woman and wounding her sister as they stepped off of a Bay Area rapid transit BART train in Oakland, California, late Sunday. John Lee Cowell, 27, was identified by police as the lone suspect Monday after authorities reviewed footage from surveillance cameras at the scene. We're so um, quick in our nation, are we not, to uh, get into arguments and uh ruhahas and bruhahas and and arguments and, and and debates around our freedoms. And I remember years ago, years ago, the cry, the cry, and therefore the dialectical hostilities on both sides of pros and cons around whether or not we should have cameras everywhere and, and Big Brother is going to be dominating our life at such a level that we're going to lose our freedoms. I'm thankful for cameras now. Been thankful for a long time. You know what I've known about cameras? Given the level of functionality of our constitutional rights, at least the first couple, two or three, um, with the freedom of the press and freedom of expression and freedom to gather and freedom of assembly and even freedom of religion and a few more, as marginal as they may be in their full and total um, expression. With the freedom of these things, you and I get news almost immediately. And with the freedom of uh, of the press, we can find out much more effectively today than we did 50 years ago. Uh, Lord knows, 100 years ago. Can you imagine the kind of manipulation the media could do where there were no cameras anywhere, no cell phones, no radios, no tape recorders. Can you imagine the mass manipulation that was going on in our country prior to television and, and cameras and, and certainly now cell phones and other personal devices that allow us to get news real time? And and can you imagine what it was like, how that the power brokering system in the media could shape the narrative in a way that you and I would never really ever get the facts? Can you imagine that? Now, now, really what I'm doing is swerving from a tragedy of an event with this young lady named Wilson and her sister who were attacked by this, um, this one, John Lee Cowell, who uh, was uh, allegedly very large, at least much larger than the victims. And um, can you imagine not really knowing what's going on? We got pictures of him now. A manhunt is on the way. Um, I'm very confident that they will catch him if he doesn't do something to himself. We're not real sure what the altercation would have been if there was one at all that led to this, what we would consider just uh, unconscionable act on his part. As believing men and women, we pray that God restrains evil in the world. We pray that he continues to do it even to this very second because we believe that. If God were to remove His hand um, to any significant degree, that behaviors and expressions and outbreaks of the such that we're talking about would be taking place all over the world. Do you agree with that? Is that is that a, is that a legitimate uh, perception on your part if you're a biblical believer? Do you know Do you know that um, there is um, a need for us to be concerned at the level of skepticism, and that's going to actually bring me into. Uh, an opening uh, consideration for tonight's uh, discourse. And that has to do with um, the idea of cynicism. Let me see if I can uh, build a thought around it. I do want to give you a monologue on something that I think is really important. I want to talk to you about finding your gift. But since I started off by having the the tension of opening up and and, and talking to you with this issue on my mind right now, because I'm very interested in seeing what the outcome will be with regards to when they catch this young man who's only 27, some 10 years older, nine years older than the two young ladies that are now, their lives are totally changed destroyed for some, marred significantly by others, and, and, and we will we will see an outbreak, an outcry of citizenry around this, as should be the case, by the way. Think about it. All around the world, from the beginning of time, when you've had tragedies of this nature, even in our beloved uh, paradigmatic nation Israel, God said, when a man rises up and kills another man, and he does it on accident, let alone Intentionally, but when he does it on accident, let him immediately begin to flee to what are called cities of refuge. There were strategically in Israel on both sides of the Jordan cities of refuge to which people could flee if a murder or a a killing occurred, a death by accident would occur. They would flee to the cities of refuge quickly immediately in order to have justice served by the priests who would. Uh, Called the judges and they would deliberate as to whether or not the person who was involved in the crime that led to the death or the murder was actually guilty of premeditated intentional murder. Now, why is he fleeing to the city of refuge? Because the avenger of blood has the right away immediately to go after the murderer. In other words, God recognized and allowed. That people would rise up and pursue the individual who would dare to commit such injustice against society, would go after him. And if he did not honor justice and run for his life in order that he might be able to plead through a judicial process that was fair to to say, hey, it was an accident, my axe head flew off my handle, I did not mean to kill him, or if in fact he was actually proven to have been guilty, then due process takes place, right? Because we want justice more than vengeance. But God allows vengeance to rise in the hearts of the people because when you allow these kinds of crimes to go on unpunished, Then we are praising the wicked, as the Bible says. And when you praise the wicked, a nation goes downhill. I have before me a hundred maladies of the collapse of morals and the condition of our uh, 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 beloved nation, America. A hundred facts about the moral collapse of America— uh, that are almost too crazy to believe when you read them and yet we know they're factual we know that there's empirical evidence that shows us that we are a diseased nation a corrupting nation a, a nation falling apart at the seams in many ways which is really leading me to the to the uh, exercise that I want to bring to us around cynicism cynicism are you um are you aware of cynicism and is cynicism something that is heavy Um, a heavy part of maybe your characteristic or your attribute. When I say being cynical, are you cynical? Um, I I define cynical personally as a fundamental distrust and maybe even a knee-jerk reaction of almost anything that I hear about at face value. A cynical person, and, and I have utilized it many times, and I feel justified about it, and we'll talk about that. A cynical person is fundamentally a person who distrusts things at face value. The uh, skeptical response to a thing not meeting my approval. And then an attitude of superior insight without the virtue necessarily of sympathy to help are correct or fixed. There's a negative, negative connotation to cynicism that we have to be careful about, and I kind of want to talk to you about that. Now, having said that, I think there is a healthy cynicism to be had, a healthy sense of fundamental distrust, a healthy sense of skeptical response to maybe news I hear or data that comes my way or proposed ideas and notions, assertions and facts that I might intuitively feel like That can't be true. Probably is not true. So I believe in a healthy cynicism, but cynicism can be a very toxic, a very bad, a very wrong thing, particularly if you're cynical at the core of your nature and you never, ever are uh, open to the reality of things with which you just naturally don't agree. Would that make sense to you? I'm saying that, or do you know what it means to be cynical in a way that can actually be negative in your life? It can be a hindrance in your life. It can blind you. It can actually destroy relationships. It can keep you from advancing in your life. Um, It can impact your relationship with both God and man. If you're cynical in the wrong way, um, it can hinder your ability to walk with God in a crazy world. So I do raise the question, are you cynical to the degree that, that it impacts you? Maybe this is kind of a more um, psychological approach to where you might be today. You might be struggling with a lot of things like relationships or promotions or advancements or a desire to be, um, be further down the line of success than you are. And, and, and might it not be due to cynicism? Are you too critical in a a knee jerk reaction way where you don't really give a thing the benefit of the doubt and uh, do what actually first Thessalonians chapter five around verse 19 says, prove all things and then hold fast to that which is good. Now, if you're cynical to the point of stopping it so that you're not being gullible, that's fine. But if you're cynical to the point where you just write it off as wrong or bad and then you insert into it your own notion of the thing, you might very well have a problem. Could that be you? Could that be you? Do you know when you are cynical in a way that's negative? You know when you're cynical in a way that's positive and productive? Does your cynicism lead you to um, bad situations, lack of promotion, lack of advancement, lack of growth, lack of relationships? That's kind of where I want to go. I do have a more positive one I want to talk to you about after the break, but I would love to hear from you. We live in a world that probably does justify a level of cynicism, doesn't it? Make you critical. Make you, make you suspicious. Make you kind of want to just circle the wagons and hide. It, it, can, it can bring you to a place, if we're not very careful, of overgeneralizations and, and uh, stereotypes, which is what goes on in our media every day. Like, for instance, right now with this guy who killed this young lady, do you know what's going on, the brouhaha in the media? Um, white frailty, white privilege, um, the, 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 the rhetorical arguments right now that somehow he is part of a group that uh, really wants to get back at, at blacks because we've got too much color going on. I have absolutely no idea whether or not that has any basis in fact, but we know the narrative is out there for a lot of reasons across our country. but it's going to rise up here for a while and become the news here in a minute in some news sources, if not your main ones um and and it's going to impact relationships between between blacks and whites. You know that, so let's talk about that one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Um, if there be evil in the city, hath not the Lord done it? And when a trumpet is blown, should we not be warned? Well, I'm going to see if I can blow the trumpet for the next hour and 40 minutes with you, and I want to talk with you about it. Has it impacted you at the level that you have become cynical in a negative way? Is it holding you back? Do you need to talk it through? one i will be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan. We are back. The time is five twenty-six on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I've got two lines open: one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Your host Jesse Gistan, talking to you about maybe we can put it in the context of attitude. And attitude can be things that are rooted in our nature, uh, who we are um, as an individual uh, by nature. But we can also be impacted by our environment and our culture, and you know that. Um, this is very clearly seen in larger social group dynamics where um, kind of the frenzy of people's opinions get shaped and home by the media in a way that you can anticipate uproar and you can move people to protest and you can get people to um, go out to the streets and begin to argue and to fight over something that may be factual, may not be factual. But in any event given all of this crazy stuff that goes on in America alone, let alone around the world, um, does life not make you cynical sometimes? Just cynical. And I'm reading an article earlier this morning on on that by one Peter Adams, um, and he uses the term uh, or the title of his blog, a cure for cynicism. And I just want to read his opening statement and, uh, and and maybe talk about it a little bit with you because I had to examine myself. Now, how, how and when and why does cynicism rise up in me? And and does it have a positive effect in my life? Does it serve me or does it impede me? Does it hinder me? And by the way, that's, this is going to be the counterpart to my more positive um, um, sort of uh, topic with you, finding your gift. I'll be talking about that at the bottom of the hour, how important it is for you and I to find our gift. But if we are uh, encumbered by and overcome by cynicism, um, it can be very bad, but let's work on um, some opening comments by Peter Adams on this. He says cynicism is a healthy option. Cynicism comes from a good place. He says high standards, high standards are a gift of God, calling us to be our best and do our best for Him. And high standards are a gift of God as we want to work what is best in ourselves, our families, our society, our schools universities, homes, workplace. How wonderful to see beyond the second rate and third rate and the squalid. And I think what Peter is saying about cynicism is that cynicism is a tool of discernment. If you use it right, would you agree with that? I'm sure you do. You're smart people, but he goes on to give the contrast in conjunction, but cynicism is a dangerous way to express those standards. Did you get that? If you have a high standard for what's right, a high standard for what's good, a high standard for what's noble and what should be appropriate, and yet you express your opinions cynically, that's probably a wrong way to do it. Um, He says cynicism is a dangerous way to express those standards. It gives us the luxury of being right without the responsibility of working for change. Did you get that? He says a cynical person or a cynical group of people or a cynical nation has the luxury of being right, as we would assume right, being uh, on our side, without the responsibility of working for change. It gives us the pleasure of effortless superiority. It gives us the joy of being firmly at home with our fellow cynics, see, the group cynics without the responsibility of employing those high standards positively and it leads us to arrogance as we forget that they are insight that that any insight or ability any wisdom we have is a gift of god and not a sign of our superiority you, you're tracking with Peter so far? If you do have insight, if you do have discernment, if you have the ability to read beyond the superficial, read between the lines, press into the reality or the multiple layers of a particular um, uh, proposal, uh, something presented to you to see it for what it really is, he says, that's a gift from God. Because I can tell you, you and I would know this immediately upon me expressing it. You meet a lot of people who are gullible. A lot of people who really don't discern well. A lot of people who really can't get past the superficial. Or the present. To go deeper. So what he says is. It's important for you to know that if you have been able to operate out of a level of discernment. That allows you to see things well and right and accurately. Don't get puffed up about it. Because when we do. Well of course you know. God resists what the proud and he gives grace to the what humble so we can be right. And wrong at the same time. Wouldn't you agree? And so it might it might be one of those things where you're impacted by that right now. It could be in a relationship, as I stated. It can be parents to children, children to parents. I think children uh, of parents often get cynical. When they reach a certain level of attainment and knowledge and believe that they know more than they really do and they can become critical without um, um, holding that criticism in and filtering it through uh, a kind of humility that opens them up for at least dialoguing about what they know. Here's another thing about cynicism if you don't know it. When a person is cynical, they don't want to have to face the responsibility of debate around their views. When you meet cynical people, they just give you their cynical views, but they're not willing to have their views challenged as if they are right. Yeah, there you go. Now, that, that, that often is what, what Peter is talking about, the luxury of being right without the responsibility of working for change. And so um, could that be you? Could that, could that be me? Could that be America? Really, is America overall uh, you know, suffering from cynicism? Um, the uh, false superiority of being uh, right. and maybe better when in fact that might not be the case. What do you think? One triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. I do have two lines open one, triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. And I will get to them when we come back, but I'd love to have a few more. Uh, we're going to look at this a little bit more flesh out some biblical principles around why the believer should be prudent, but not cynical. Uh, and then I want to talk to you about finding your gift how critical it is for you and I. In fact, as I get ready to go to the break, think about this. If you find your gift and you do write about your gift, guess what? Your gift will help mitigate cynicism because often cynicism is kind of a facade for not actually being in the game, not actually being smack dab in the middle of your giftedness because when you are gifted, now you can employ that giftedness in a way that God is honored and people are blessed. And guess what? You are blessed too. Two lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. You're listening to the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'm so glad to be with you. Let's now break this thing open and start talking about it. Okay. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. All right. The time is five thirty seven on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Five thirty seven. Two lines open. We are talking about cynicism, which is kind of a the other side of skepticism. However, skepticism is a bit more um, objective, even though skepticism is very subjective. In a lot of ways, it's more objective than cynicism. Cynicism is a kind of, again, distrust that's kind of rooted in a knee-jerk reaction that does not necessarily allow one to really take into consideration all factors relative to what they are considering or they are viewing or they are assessing. I'm asking you as a professing Christian or one who listens to this program, you may not be a believer. um, Are you, or do you have a problem with cynicism? Uh, Can you see yourself as kind of part of the larger um, attitude, no narrative of our present culture? Um, It's already been proven by, Uh, psychologists and sociologists, I would say sociologists, that when you listen to like uh, news talk radio, uh, the different programs, whether liberal or conservative, that once you get on the bandwagon of those groups, guess what happens? You begin to take on their attitudes. And you begin to take on their their mindset. And, and God's word says in the book of Deuteronomy very clearly, you shall not, I think it's Deuteronomy or Exodus, you shall not follow a multitude to do evil. In other words, you don't just morph yourself into the multitude's mindset, the multitude's uh, sort of tone of speech attitude, uh, mob mentality. You certainly will become cynical um, uh, if you are operating out of a mob mentality. And has that cynicism bothered you? Has it become a problem in your life? Or have you found yourself uh, been able to, being able to use your cynicism in a way that's been productive and fruitful? Again, I'm talking about this because when I look around our world and I think about w- so many things that are happening, and it really is impacting all of us. It really is. I just heard on this program before I came back on um, how that President Trump, is just trampled underfoot by some of the highest and most visible people in our country. I'm sure you guys see it yourself everywhere you turn. He's, he's just being demolished relentlessly without any let up almost. I mean, it's massive. Now, again, I don't spend a lot of time watching any of that stuff because I have no appetite for it, but I am aware of a kind of accepted attitude, no cynicism and hatred and hostility toward the president. Now tell me, is that something that a believer should adopt? Should we be in, like, let's say we gather together for families and have a meal with cousins and aunties and uncles, et cetera, um, or brothers and sisters and grandkids and, you know, close family, and, and all of a sudden someone starts in on Trump. We all go to church. Maybe we went to church that morning. But by, by 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock, as we're hang, hanging, around, hanging around auntie's house or uncle's house or grandma's house or mama's house, and we're talking about Trump, we're just throwing him in the grinder and, and, and grinding him up and spitting him out. Is that really the attitude that believers ought to have? Should it be expressed that way? Remember what Peter Adams was saying. It's one thing to discern those factors, and that might be criticism, and criticism is not bad as long as it's constructive. But the moment that we are simply uh, expressing a knee-jerk reaction at the level of um, just just distrust and not even proving all things, are we doing good for anybody, let alone ourselves? Kind of what I'm meditating on. So on the other hand, let me, let me pull, pose for you um, a positive note, and that will um, <clears throat> catapult us into maybe the totality of our discourse today. I was thinking about the blessing. The blessing, the blessing of being a fruitful individual. Um just blessed by the Lord to be able to operate in your calling, blessed by the Lord to be able to function in your gifting and 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 the exhortation that came to mind for me is find your gift. So over against Maybe some people feel like they're gifted with cynicism. We'll see that when I start answering the phone calls. But find your gift. And what I mean by find your gift is ask God to grace you to actually see the gifts in your life. Gifts singular, gift plural. And uh, to be able to know um, why you are on this planet. What, what, What virtues and what gifts God has given you. And when you find your gift, after all, that's why you go to school. Um, and go to church, by the way, if, if, if church is uh, a very uh, important part of your life, it can actually help you identify gifts in, a, in your character and in your, your your makeup that can be productive for the world. When you find your gift, if you should, if you should find your gift, here's the first thing that I'm going to encourage you to do. Now, watch this. Now, you want to nurture that gift. Find your gift, nurt- nurture that gift, and let that gift become fruitful in your life. Find your gift, nurture that gift, and let that gift become fruitful in your life. Find it, nurture it, let it become fruitful. So what am I doing? I'm calling your gift a seed. That's right. Because whenever we find our gift or discover our gift, what we discover is we have a seed. We don't have a full-blown plant with fruit everywhere. That's not the way God does it. And for a good theological reason, I'll talk about it in a moment. But if you find your gift... And you you go about the noble task of nurturing that gift so that it begins to bear fruit in your life. That's how you know you have a gift. Uh, You don't have a gift if it doesn't bear fruit uh, in your life. But once it starts bearing fruit in your life, people affirming that gift, here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you're listening carefully, this is for someone. Give that gift away. Make sure you give it away Um, when it is a good gift. And when it is mature, and therefore ready for public display, people will not only take your gift, receive your gift, be blessed by your gift, but they will buy your gift. Now, I know that's oxymoronic because I just said, give it away. And I do want to press that home. I want you to give your gift away. When you know you have a gift from God, and that gift has been through patience and preparation and study and careful, um, progress matured to the point where it bears fruit, then, then do this, give it away. That's why God gave it to you. Now you want to give it away. You want to give it away. You don't want to sell your gift like lots of folks do. You don't want to sell your gift. You want to give it away. And here's the reason why you want to give your gift away. You want to give your gift away because it's a gift. God gave it to you as a gift. God didn't give you a sales kit to go around selling your gift so that people could pay you for it. Because if that's the case, it's not a gift. It's a relationship on a business level between you and God, where at least God ought to get paid half of it if you're going to sell it. But, but here's the point when you have a gift and you find that gift and you nurture that gift and you let it bear fruit and you give it away. Then you're being like God, Point number one. Why do I say that? Because God is the one who gives gifts away, does he not? Every good and every perfect gifts comes from the Father above. Is that right? God's giving gifts all the time. He gives gifts unto men. This is what we're learning in our Psalm study on Wednesday, 11 o'clock. You're welcome to join us. But here's what I want to say. When you find your gift and you nurture your gift and your gift is bearing fruit, then it's ready to be given away, not sold giving away, so many people are are in a penury state because they thought that they could sell their gift. I I notice this with churches. I notice how churches every time they open their doors, they're selling something. I'm almost embarrassed for them when I go to different local uh, congregations or abroad, and I find that they're selling the CDs, they're selling this message, they're selling that message, they're selling everything, even to their own members. I mean. Come on now. What do you think the offering is about or the gifting is all about? And and then you discover when you find assembly selling everything, they're almost always more in debt than they are in the surplus. The second reason why you want to give your gift away. First being that you are now being like the father. And as a child, we want to bear his attributes and characteristics, right? So write it down. I'll repeat it after the break. You want to give your gift away. Because to give your gift away is to be a blessing to someone else while at the same time being blessed. You get that? Acts 20, 31. It is more blessed to what? Give than to receive. Don't sell it. Give it away. Don't sell it. Give it away. And one more thing before I go to the break if you're going to really be gospel-centered in your gift, if you're going to really be a blessing to people in your gift, you're going to have to be ready. You're going to have to be ready that when you give your gift away, that some people, maybe even a lot of people, will despise your gift. They will reject your gift. They will be offended by your gift. And here's the reason why. You're giving it away. You're giving it away. And people have this, Perverse intuitive notion that if something is given away, it has no value. But you see the kingdom of God operates totally different than the kingdom of the world. For God, the father, he gives gifts away even to the degree of the greatest gift. And that greatest gift that he has given away is what his son for God. So loved the world that he what gave. And in giving his son, if you're not going to be like him, is this not true? The vast majority of the world rejects him. It's offended by him, it distorts that gift, despises that gift, rejects that gift. Is that so? So remember now when you have a gift and you have nurtured that gift and that gift is bearing fruit, give it away and you're going to be like the Father, you're going to be like the Son, and you're going to be blessed. One line open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. You want to be blessed? I'm telling you how to do this. Okay. The proverb says, "The one that is scattering is the one that's gathering, and the one that's holding in, trying to keep everything to himself, herself, themselves, are in want." one let us talk about it. I'll be right back. We'll get to the phone lines when we get, get back. Got to pay some bills, but I'm ready to talk to you. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gestan. We're going to go to the phone lines here in a moment, but I do want to leave this because our lines are full. And when we drop, you can pick up yourselves. Two things we're going to talk about over this next hour. Um, we're at the end of this first hour, kind of um Nurtured and cultivated a, top, a topic, a two-sided topic. One is cynicism, cynicism, that fundamental distrust, that fundamental knee-jerk reaction on anyone's part where they may actually be right in their perception, but wrong in their response, or at least questionable in their response, at least um um, suspect in terms of the highest and more noble reaction they should yield to what they perceive to be the reality and fact of things. And that's so critical in our life. Our culture, our world can make us cynical. And I'm asking you, are you cynical uh, in a wrong way? Uh, and we can do some confession. And you might be cynical, however, in a very good way. The other thing I'm going to be asking you when I pick up the phones here in a moment is, have you found your gift? Or gifts in the plural form. And um, have you been patient enough to nurture those gifts until they began to bear fruit? And have you understood my concept around giving it away versus selling it and how that it is far more not only economically wise in the sense that, um, you know, um, what you have is a gift. Um, that it is um, it is far more productive to give than it is to receive, and it's far more pro- productive to give than it is to sell. But if your gift is good, people will buy it, <laughs> even if you want to give it away. If your gift is good, people will buy it. God has made that part of the social uh, economy of our culture and our world. So I'm going to the phone lines. I'm going to first go to Leslie in the South Bay on line number four. Leslie, are you there on line number four? How are you?
2: I am well, Pastor Jesse. How are you?
1: Great, great. Your your thoughts or comments?
2: Okay. Um, this is a great topic um, because I struggle with this um, a little bit.
1: Which one? Um, what, what do you struggle, I struggle
2: with? with the, I struggle with the gift side. Okay. When to know, okay. Yeah, when to know, uh, when to charge for a, what I think a gift and calling God has given me to do. Mm-hmm. That also is one that is... Uh, a side vocation that I do outside of my day job, but uh, I use it for the glory of God, and then sometimes I use it, of course, I do everything for the glory of God, but sometimes it's in secular environments where right. there's expectation that it would be charged. Right. Um, so I, I get into this dilemma. So what I've done was I say suggested donation. I know I'm getting into semantics, but for me, because that struggle, that tension goes on, mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to find the best way that's pleasing to God mm-hmm. to use my gift. This is something I've cultivated over thirty years yeah. in the area of wellness. Yeah. Um I, I paid money poured money into insurance as well as certifications and different things. So how do you kind of balance and reconcile? I'd love your 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 thoughts on that. Um Yeah, what's a true gift Mm -hmm. in terms of that you can charge for versus what you should do? And not even think, it's very clear like at your church, you know, you don't charge for CDs. And that's one thing that really was a blessing. I'm like, wow, this is the first thing that is not charging for a CD. If you want to give a donation.
1: Are you dropping out on me, young lady? Are you dropping out on me? Are you driving? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, you're dropping out, but your question is clear. Yeah. And I'm going to help you with that one because okay. I, I, okay. I, I was waiting for people like you to call. I really was because we need to talk it through. This part of, uh, my exhortation really should be, um, a, a, a series discussed in a more deeper theological way. And I'd be more than glad to do that because I, I actually believe that we all have gifts when you're created in the image of God. You, you have gifts. You're not here for yourself. And, and as such, those gifts being innate and then nurtured and then, then honed and then, you know, bearing fruit within themselves, which is affirmed by your fellow citizens. Uh, the goal of giving your gift away, uh, Leslie has largely to do with the humility and recognition that you don't own those gifts, that they are indeed a gift. Um, now, the way that it works in God's economy and around the world, <clears throat> this is why I stated, if your gift is good, if you, have, if you have good gifts, your job is to give it away, but people are going to want to buy it. Now, that's why I created the tension around how people respond to your gift. When people know that they have received a good thing, they are willing to pay for it. And so the Bible says, buy the truth and sell it not. It's a play on how you value what you have been given. It's a play on how you value what you have been given. So now let me kind of turn it around and and employ this principle relative to where you are. And I'm sure you know when the Bible says it is more blessed to give than to receive, uh, that's true. Is that not so?
2: That is so
1: true. Right. Yep. Now, let's say this gift that you love and you happen to be able to exercise and people are benefiting from it, and therefore you are being more refreshed because when we operate out of a gift, we actually are being refreshed, um, even though we have to go through cycles of, re- of, of, of refreshment to be refreshed by. It is a joy to give. And yet here you are, you're going um, suggested donations, right? You use that mm-hmm. that framework. Well, what that is is the opportunity for people to express a value in your gift without you directly charging them for it. Okay. Now, now, now it gets a little bit more complex only on this level, only on this level. I would say to people, I am not going to sell you the skill set of wholeness and wellness that I have learned, which is intrinsic to my nature, which I want to give away. And if I could afford to, I'd give it away free in terms of all of the paraphernalia that goes around the context in which I get to exercise this gift. We got a building, we got resources, we got this, that in order to facilitate you being here to be blessed by those gifts. That is what you're going to be supporting. You're supporting the facilitation of the gift. You're not supporting the gift.
2: Right. Okay. That's does that does clear. that make it sense? Makes, sense. makes
1: a lot of sense. Thank right. That's awesome. Right. So 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 even for us at Grace uh-huh. I always say you you you're not paying for the gospel at Grace. You're not paying for me to preach. You're not paying for me to teach. You're not paying for me to counsel uh or any other thing. You are giving to God in response to the blessing you received, and all of the resources and paraphernalia that go on with being a responsible ministry. That's how we operate. And therefore, no, we don't put price tags on virtually anything. At grace, because we want people to know that your giving has to be rooted in an absolute appreciation for the gift, not the reciprocal compelling of a price tag or else. That's not the way uh, people are to respond to what God gives them. And leadership ought to be confident enough in God's uh, grace for them to act in faith in a biblical way that God will prosper them more in their giving than in them selling.
2: Ah, all right. So that's really good. I really appreciate that. I just wanted to add one, one thing to that that just kind of just seals uh, what you're saying, um, at least in my brain. Okay. There were a couple of instances even in the last two years where I was asked and the approach, hey, can you come and do this particular wellness workshop? And they asked, what do you charge? Right. And I said, I, I cannot charge a fee for this. I will leave that to you and God. Right. Um, this was a Christian organization. And what happened was they came back with almost triple the value if you put a market value to what it is right now in terms of the materials and everything that God just says, Show up right. and just give it away. Don't worry about it, we'll be charged. And that was that was truly God because I didn't I didn't look for that. I said, Well, I don't know, what they're gonna give me it's not that. I'd like to recover the materials that I bought but oh well it's God is in your hands and that was Truly, a blessing. It made me feel uncomfortable at first because I wanted to give it back, and but then no, you weren't supposed to give it back. You
1: don't. Yep. Yeah. You don't give it back. That's my point that I'm making. No, that's yeah, my point. Not, right. Nine times out of ten when I do service for people, you know, baptisms, weddings, funerals, which I'm doing all the time, counsel hither there. Um, what I do is I tell people you can give if you want to, but you, you know, I'm, you're, you're, I'm not charging you for this um, because that's not the way I do it. And you can give what you want to. You don't have to give a dime. And some people don't. Bless God, uh, and then other people's do exactly what you're doing. Just give abundantly, and and they're they're responding to the blessing of the gift, and that is a way in which you can walk by faith in stewardship with God, um, trusting God to provide for you what you need without you collapsing into a kind of static capitalism. We want to be careful about that.
2: Oh, Bless okay. you. Bless Great. you. Thank you. All right. Okay, bye. All
1: right. Let me go to line number three and and, and uh, open up some dialogue with my friend Brandon before we take a break. Brandon, are you there? I am. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good, good. Have you been listening to me for the last 10, 15, 20 minutes? I
3: have, yeah. Oh, good. I so catch the beginning of the show today.
1: Oh, you did? Did you go to work? hmm I did. And you got off early enough to catch the beginning of the show.
3: An an early day for me.
1: Okay, good. Awesome. Now, um, let me ask you a question. Has life made you cynical? I don't think so. You don't think so?
2: No,
3: I don't think so. I think that um, my experiences helped me to definitely be skeptical, which is what I endorse, um, something that I promote, Um, and I think that that's that's the best um, approach in life, but I I was actually just... um, you know, looking up uh, just a basic Merriam-Webster definition. Right. So cynical. Right. right. Just to get just you know, and and it says that it, you know, it's the it's the, the, uh, the attitude of of contemptuous contemptuously distrustful, being contemptuously distrustful mm-hmm. of human nature mm-hmm. and of people's motives.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah.
3: Um. And you know, when I was listening to you talking, contrasting cynicism and skepticism, Mm -hmm. specifically talking about that sort of thing for people who are Christians. Right. Um, You know, what went through my head pretty much right away was that I actually think that the reason why Christians are better at being cynics than they are at being skeptics is because religions in general, I think, as far as I, you know, know any of them, Uh, and Christianity in particular, since that's the one that I know the best, don't do a very good job of teaching people how to be skeptical or don't even really have a very high value placed on being skeptical because skepticism is approaching all claims, anything that someone could tell you is true with an attitude first that that claim has to be proved before you accept it. That there's, that there's a, that there's um, a standard of evidence and that it's not based in one's feelings, you have to, okay, there has to be a good reason why I think that the thing you've just told me is true is actually the case. I have to. There has to be a good reason before I accept it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that Christianity does a very good job of, of that, but it does an excellent job at making people contemptuously distrustful of human motives. I agree with you because
1: I agree with you. There's
3: just everyone has fallen. And well, that that, that now, you now
1: now you know, we're going to go there. So let me back up and say, I agree with you that what happens with what um, the church has done with propositional truth from the scriptures, which is where we would ultimately land you and I, because this is the dance we've been doing ever since we met. Um, Mm -hmm. I do agree with you. Uh, Brandon, that the church historically has actually um, a more flawed approach to the inherent testimony of Scripture concerning humanity relative to a legitimate skepticism. If I had time um, at length, we could talk about why uh, I believe the Bible is accurate in its assessment of mankind and the evils that proceed from man that grant the right for us to be skeptical. However, and I think, I think if we were to maintain a solid agreement on the fundamental distinction between skepticism and cynicism, I think you and I would find a lot of agreement, uh, if, as long as we st- uh, stay objective about the historical facts and, and, and maybe coherent about uh, uh, definitions around skepticism, even when it comes to the Bible. I would agree that the Bible uh, uh, speaks... Um, With regards to humanity in two ways, Um, very clearly letting us know that mankind um, is uh, a source of evil at a level of historical evidentialism, um, evidential facts that we need to be skeptical when anyone brings any kind of information to us because um, men are liars. You are, I am, we are liars. Sometimes we're liars intentionally, and sometimes we're liars by accident. Sometimes we're liars because we've been given wrong information, and we have taken that information and propagated it. And uh, didn't know it, and then ultimately, um, over time, that 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 information has been proven to be flawed, wrong, and 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 one's conviction leads them to move up out of that viewpoint into another viewpoint that may be more productive for their life. In that sense, I I, I agree with you. I, I you know I, we have to make a lot of apologies in the Christian church for a lot of reasons that don't even leave the ranks of the church before it gets to the secular world where you would be taking a position. Before I would even say to Brandon... Uh, Brandon, I'm sorry for um, the way the church has um, has handled um, uh, different categories of people's views about sexuality or different categories of uh, people's views about um, ethnicities. I'm sorry for the way the church has uh, allowed itself to succumb to a kind of uh, a superiority that it could, it, could, it could persuade and control and dominate people by the sword, including my own people, <laughs> being African-American. And I know what that is like historically to have um, a lineage of folks in my family who are slaves and had to deal with the um, twisted notion of uh, conquering people groups with the sword in the name of Jesus. So that would uh, merit uh, skepticism on anyone's part about is this the way that God acts? But what I would say is that if we actually examine the Word of God and really work through a proper um, expository development of the ethics of God, and what, in other words, what God calls man to do, and I'll give the basic of it, um, and then we'll have to take a break. God says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, given that you and I might agree on a fundamental definition of love, maybe, maybe not, but I kinda think we could. If we know what love is, and love is the antithesis of hate, if we have a proper um understanding of hate and the categories for it. I think you would agree that if we were more loving towards each other, that is love works no ill towards its neighbor, love views its neighbor with the highest objective and the highest noble goals that could be uh, possibly rendered towards that neighbor. um, Then 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 we would both be on the same page about what our objectives are towards our fellow man, including um, one another. I think you would agree with that. Right. I mean,
3: you know, maybe Uh, that would be at least the beginning of a basis for um, agreement on that sort of thing. Uh, And, you know, I I would never, for instance, you know, what you said earlier, that, you know, uh, that people are are liars. Right. I'm not I wouldn't dispute that people obviously lie uh, and and do it pretty frequently. Um, (laughs) The the, the difference is, I think, that um, it's, it's in the way you stated it. People are liars. It is what they are, right? Whereas I would say it's something that people do uh, in cer- certain circumstances where they think that that's going to be beneficial to them. And then in certain circumstances where they think that telling the truth is going to be beneficial, uh, they tell the truth,
1: mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm.
3: they're, not, they're not bent to just always telling a lie no matter what the circumstance is, right? People are, are to a certain degree, you know, um, self-interested, but they're also community-interested, And they're that way also by nature. And people are also truth-tellers, and they're also that way by nature. And so that's where I think that the difference comes in and the cynicism part of religion comes in. The cynic cynic in religion is the attitude that says we're irreparable. All of this terrible stuff is what we are fundamentally, and there's no solution. There's no fix for it. You just have to throw yourself at the mercy of whatever it is the religious solution happens to be. Uh, and that's just it. And if you accept anything else, uh, you're just wrong about human nature. And, and the, and, and just evidence does not show that to be the case, right? And so that's the skeptical approach. It's like, well, okay, I'm listening to your claim about, you know, I don't know if I don't think that you're a Calvinist necessarily, but you know, a sort of total depravity or whatever. I'm, kind
1: of I'm called of a Calvinist. I'm called a Calvinist. You you okay, know yeah, you know yeah, enough. I, for, I, that's what I'm called. Uh, I'm a Biblicist, I actually think I'm a Biblicist, uh but I'm called a Calvinist, and I I do hold to the fact that mankind is depraved through, through and through, so that even his goodness uh, is to be suspect. For instance, if, when you kind of painted the scenario around people doing good and people doing bad and people sometimes lying and people sometimes telling the truth, I would agree with all of that, Brandon. I would agree that those things take place, and yet they do not mitigate or refute the general proposition that all men are liars, because as you would know, one can tell the truth in a certain context mm-hmm. in order to promote a lie. And so for God, if the overall behavior pattern is missing the mark, this is what is meant by being a liar a person that's sure, a liar you is... can
3: also you, you can also lie in defense of the truth
1: I agree agree
3: show up at your door and Agreed. you have Anne Frank you know in your house you're hiding her uh, that I would say that the moral thing is to lie to the Nazis that you're not hiding someone and uh, they should move on to the next house right like so you are telling a lie you're not representing the truth accurately right but you're doing it in defense of a, of a, of a higher principle and all that I'm saying is not necessarily disagreeing that humans are liars. They're saying they are simultaneously truth-tellers. And that is as important as the the irrefutable fact that people lie. They, they lie, and they tell the truth, and it's, it's sort of circumstantial, right? The question then becomes... Um,
1: why is this the case? Know, what,
3: well, yeah, and what do you do with that information? And what okay. is the best explanation of why that's the case? And right. that's the part where I think that Christianity is not and, and I'm, not, I'm not. This is not unfairly against Christianity. I don't think Islam or um, Hinduism, maybe Buddhism, but only certain schools of thought in Buddhism are very good at this, um, from what I understand. That questioning the um, the sort of um, ideological narrative, like the, the why are things the way they are, the, the story that yeah. explains yeah. why things are the way that they are, that all religions have. Now, they're all different, they're all mutually exclusive. Sure, But the ability to question that story is not something, I think you would agree, not exactly something that Christians smile on. It's not really something that you're supposed to do, because if you're honestly actually asking the question— then you might come to the conclusion that it's actually wrong. If you're not prepared to say, I think this might be wrong at some point, depending on the evidence, if you're not prepared to say, I'm willing to give it up if it is shown to me that this is wrong, you're not actually engaged in any kind of investigation or question. You're just trying to support something that you already believe. A true question has to leave open all possible answers, and then you start eliminating them on the basis of which answers have good evidence and which answers don't. And that is actually the skeptical path. And so I don't think that there's it, ever been a time it, I've ever been in church when a pastor has said, I want you to fairly consider that Jesus maybe didn't raise, you know, wasn't raised from the dead.
1: Well, actually, and I've
3: never in my life heard that. Right. You know? well,
1: well, because just like just like you would be able to state um, categorically, and maybe with empirical evidence that you are Brandon and your last name is such and such, that you would not posit to people to be able to consider the possibility that you are not Brandon because you're able to now furnish evidence that would substantiate your 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 proposition or assertion that you're in fact uh, in fact Brandon. We would do the same thing about the person and work of Jesus Christ, whom we right, know this, and believe. The
3: evidence to, for that is just not anywhere near the same. Right, right. Now, now, if exactly you
1: say, but if you me. say that, if you say that and i got to actually take a break here but when you say that then we have to go about proving that you can we can make allegations and assertions and you know church history has been engaged in that debate with the secularist up to an atheist and agnostic up to this very moment very good debates very healthy debates very wise and prudent debates in my own assessment um, and have been able to handle themselves very adequately in relationship to the allegations against um, uh, against the whole notion of objective truth and certainly uh, the inerrancy of the Bible. I think we've done a, a great job at it um, in, in general, uh, while uh, on a more practical level, I still agree with you that um, many in the Christian church have had a problem sliding from skepticism and what we would call biblical skepticism to a kind of cynicism, because you can assert things and not necessarily have to go about proving it. But we would say the same thing on the side of the secularists, too. So hold on, Brandon. I got to take a break. I'm way overdue. Handle what you got to handle in terms of cleaning it up, and we'll come right back. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'll be right back